what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I believe this is our third episode that we are doing from remote locations, if I'm counting correctly. And from my secluded remote location here near downtown Hickory, it is Alan Jackson. How are you doing, everybody? And of course, across the screen from me is uh, Chris Fry uh, coming him from his remote headquartered location. So. In, the, in the metropolis of Newton, North Carolina. Ah, that's right. So, okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> From your very nice looking den, I see, or study, or whatever your room may be. It's, it's my makeshift office for now. So uh, yeah. I am here in my my office, my actual work office, but the building is empty. Got I'm you. Here, the only one here. Uh, I have not had much in terms of human interaction these last few weeks while at work. So, Chris, it's very nice to see you at least over <laughs> the screen as we're talking and going to talk about some movies and some movie reviews here. So. Uh, hope everybody out there is staying safe and feeling good and healthy and uh, dealing with these very unique times. And I know talking about movies may seem a little odd because, you know, movie theaters are still shut down. There's not any, a lot of new movies to talk about. However, we are going to talk about a couple that did go straight online uh, available. At least the first one we're going to talk about truly went only online. I think the second review we're going to do, I think might have gone to the movie theater for a week or so and then rolled over in an online distribution. Right. Uh, but we are going to review two films for you before we get into some news and recommendations. First up, we will be having a review of the film Trolls World Tour. Even just saying that is fun, so I'm looking forward to the discussion. <laughs> then we'll be reviewing the latest film from actor Ben Affleck. It is The Way Back sports movie uh, Mr. Affleck uh, recently completed with, I believe, Gavin Hood is the director, if I remember correctly there. Uh, Gavin uh, is definitely the first name. That's purely from from memory there. Am I right, Chris? Uh, 50% Gavin O'Connor. So. Gavin O'Connor, not yeah. Gavin Hood. My apologies to Mr. Hood. But either <laughs> way, we will be talking about those two films, and then we will be moving on to our news section, where we do have some some news to share, even though it's a little light this time of year and with everything going on, but we do have some movie production notes to share about upcoming productions you may be interested in. And then we'll round up the episode with our recommendations, a film that we feel like with maybe some of the time you've been having at home, it might be a good time to catch up on a few films. And we do have a couple recommendations to share with you. Chris, that is our plan. Are you ready to get started? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So first up, we will be discussing the film, Trolls World Tour. Once upon a time, there were two trolls. They saved the world. Pretty cute, right? Not to me. I'm the type of cloud that goes for this sort of thing. Anywho, what Poppy and Branch didn't know was their world was a lot bigger than they thought. A lot, lot, lot bigger. There are other kinds of trolls. Our ancestors created six strings, each for a different type of music. Rock, country, techno, classical, funk, and hip-hop. Tiny, tiny diamond is my name. 
and love. Tiny and Daddy, ow. There's a world full of other trolls. How different can they be? I'm gonna unite the six strings. By the end of my world tour, I'm gonna turn all the trolls into rock zombies. Rock and roll! We'll overpower them with glitter. She wants to destroy us. We need to unite the trolls to save all music. Let's sing them the most important songs in the history of music. This ought to be good. Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. You suck! I knew it. Who let the dogs out? Too far. Who's ready to rock? Prepare for battle. Let's go save the world! Trolls World Tour was supposed to be one of the first films that would signal the end of the winter cinematic doldrums and the beginning of the spring movie season, which typically quickly cascades into the realm of summer blockbusters. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, Universal Pictures, in a maverick move, kept their release date by making it available for digital rental instead of pushing the film's release into late 2020 or even early 2021, as many other films have done. A follow-up to 2016's Trolls, this film follows the further adventures of Poppy, voiced by Anna Kendrick, and Branch, voiced by Justin Timberlake. As they discover they are, there are six different troll tribes, each devoted to their own kind of music, and one of them, the Rockers, headed by Queen Barb, has set out to destroy the other forms of music. Alan, you've recently caught up with Trolls and prep reviewing Trolls World Tour. Now you know the genesis of Timberlake's super catchy pop anthem, Can't Stop the Feeling, and the genesis of Trolls World Tour. Do you feel as if the sequel improves upon the ideas and source material of the first, or is it nothing more than a cash grab? All right. Well, I've got to make a, a, a confession here, Chris. What's that? I I decided to skip watching the first Trolls movie. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. I made a judgment call, and here here kind of bear with me here. Okay. I was already a little pressed for time. Okay. I'll be quite honest. I wasn't terribly excited about catching up no. with either <laughs> either Trolls movie. So right. I delayed and I delayed, and then I finally had a little bit of time, and I said, you know what? Chris told me at one point. I didn't necessarily have to see the first Trolls movie to understand the second movie. So I'm going to roll the dice. Very unlike me. I, I do not like watching sequels to movies I have not seen the original for. Gotcha. It is a big, big hang up for me. And it was a little tough to make that decision. But in the essence of trying to record on our schedule, I sacrificed that 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 situation so i did watch trolls world tour went in blind okay no trolls background whatsoever okay um and i don't know if that helped or hurt my viewing experience okay but chris let me just ask you i'm sure. going to turn the question back over to you because sure. i'm just curious after <laughs> having watched trolls world world tour right so i'm 10 12 minutes into this movie and i'm asking myself so are the trolls movies just a collection of cute meme ready musical and dance sequences, or are there actually going to be any semblance of a story into this? All right. 15 minutes in, they did try to roll out a little bit of a story. So out of about an hour and a half film, I think there was maybe about 35, 40 minutes of actual story. And the rest is just a lot of filler. Um, I'll give it this, you know, it, it, it's an, it's an attractive film to watch in that it's very colorful. I think the animation is really strong. 
Uh, there's some very unique characters, so I'll give them that. And I also thought the voice acting on this was was adequate. I thought it was fine. I thought it was, you know, what you would expect from uh, a, a, a computer animated film these days where you pack it in with as much star power as possible. Sure. Um, Which they definitely do of, pack in the name, the star power. Oh, they do. Yeah. They do. It's pretty good. Outside of that, have a hard time recommending this for anything. Um, and again, I don't know how it compared to the first trolls movie. I have no basis for comparison, but it was, it was basically what I expected might've actually been even a little bit on the disappointing side. And that it just felt like it was such a paper thin film. Um, some characters were just really grating and tough to deal with and too much meme popping in less cute line one-liners. But again, mm -hmm. if you're going to go take some young kids to see it, I'm sure young kids will eat it up. Absolutely. Me as a, as a, as a grown filmmaking uh, filmmaker, watcher adult, there's not really a lot here to recommend. So anyway, that's my take on it. Would it have changed if I'd seen the original trolls? I don't know. But I'm curious, you being a little more versed in the Trolls universe than I am, Chris, <laughs> where, uh, where do you fall on this? So it's interesting. You know, we, as we've kind of talked about, we did, we did not review Trolls when it came out in 2016. Um, I did, however, end up seeing it. And it was one of those things where we've talked about expectations before on the show, where sometimes that makes or breaks a film that's kind of in the middle of the road. I had no expectations about Trolls. My daughter really wanted to see it, so I watched it. And I was like, okay, not my bag. However, the visual style of the film was decent. It was interesting. It was fun to watch, you know, how they did certain things. The animation was good. Um, and actually, despite, you know, my aversion to pop music, that song by Justin Timberlake, I really liked. And it was actually integrated into the movie and it made sense. It wasn't just kind of thrown in there randomly. Like, you know, I've gotten on my soapbox on the show before and talked about how I hate that <laughs> when you put a song, you don't integrate into the movie. So those things worked. And I felt like it also had this sense of randomness, but in a very cool way that it was being random, kind of like it appealed to my sense of humor, specifically the cloud character in the first Trolls movie had a lot more of just random things it would do. And it was kind of so like... So the, the, the cloud character was a recurring character. Yes, yes. Okay, so, good to know. So, <laughs> so, right. But see, this is this is good. Okay, so one of the reasons you mentioned how you and I talked and I said, you know, maybe you don't need to see the first one. I had already seen Trolls World Tour. And I was, even though, you know, there again, it's not generally a film made for me. It's made for younger audiences. I was really let down because it seemed like it was nothing but a cash grab because yeah. the story just was really paper thin. Um, <laughs> the music was nothing like it was in the first one. Like, you know, they had an original song in the first one that was actually good. And this one, they would do like covers of other songs, but they weren't particularly ingenious in the way that they imagined them or put them on screen. It was just very, Kind of like, oh, we're going to do the same thing we did in the first movie, and, and you're, you're just going to like it, um, which yeah. I didn't. Um, so, yeah, everything that kind of worked in the first movie basically didn't work in this movie. But mm. I suffered from the fact that I'd seen the original. So that's why I was curious, yeah. you not having seen the original, you saw this. Would the uniqueness of some of the animation be enough to kind of make you say, oh, it was okay? But no, because the story – see, and I, I see you shaking your head – 
And I agree, the story in this one was so, so bad. Well, and also, Chris, I mean, there are just some some inherent problems, I think, with the film, even with the story it's trying to tell. Um, you know, I, you mentioned in the plot that the whole idea is that these you find out that these other troll lands that like other types of music. Right. And that I know they're setting themselves up for a lot of jokes they can play with on that. But I mean, it's, it's also pretty, I think it's kind of stereotypical. It, it, it just labeled everybody based on the kind of music and it really painted them with a very broad brush, brush which kind of annoyed me because I'm yeah. of all the ones listed. I mean, I didn't see alternative classic rock uh, land anywhere on the map. Okay. That would have been my land. Sure. But not having that, I'm like, well, I do like the rock music they're playing most of it some of the songs were pretty good and yet they're the bad guys they're the ones that are painted with a really evil brush and they're all you know either uh hateful or mean or dumb you know basically yeah they're pretty much then all you got your, dumb the the rock yeah. people are all dumb yeah. well and then you got the classical which you know is all just all uppity people and <laughs> I, I just it just, it kind of rubbed me wrong, the whole premise. It's like, I, I get what their end message of the film is, is that you're supposed to be able to like whatever music and it makes you different and difference good. But when an hour and 20 minutes of the movie is basically making you feel like people need to fall in these camps. And then the last 10 minutes tries to wrap it up with some sort of positive message. I actually think it's kind of a bad message for even for kids to be hearing. I mean, I think you can kind of, you're kind of promoting this idea of, based on the music people are different and you treat them different and you know uh everybody either has to either like the same kind of music or you have to label somebody based on what they like so anyway i i'm probably getting more philosophical than the creators of <laughs> trolls world tour intended but it did kind of bother me it just sure. uh you know i i just i didn't like the tone it was taking from early on and uh and then like you said chris i already mentioned about the paper thin plot but also, it just seems like it's so much forcing jokes, um, yeah. forcing little sight gags, forcing little callbacks, I guess, to the previous movie. It just seemed to be so forced. And then you've got these characters that are so, um, I don't know, just broad stroke characters that that I, I just don't feel like are very interesting. So anyway, um, I was not impressed. And I was hoping that the original was better. And you were going to say that it was better. Because, man, like the if, if the original was, yeah. was like this one, I was going to say, why in the world would you make a second one? And is there really an audience for this? But if you're saying the original actually had something a little bit more to it, that's that's fine. My thing is you get the whole sense of the visuals in this film in the first five minutes. Right, you well. don't need to see anything else visually after that. I actually <sighs> thought the whole te techno world that started it visually was kind of interesting. And then nothing else really lived up to it after that, I don't feel like. So it was like... If you watch the first five minutes of the film and all you're wanting is a visual impact of the film, visually, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to look at. But after five or 10 minutes, it's like, well, everything kind of looks the same now. So I'm not really missing anything else. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and that's, you know, with the first film, you had the visual stylings that kind of made you realize, hey, this is maybe going to be a unique animated movie. And then the story was enough to kind of keep you invested. Whereas this one, the visuals at first are still there for you, but yeah, the story falls apart. It's not interesting. I want to comment a little bit on, um, cause you know, for people who haven't seen either film, what exactly I'm talking about, which I feel like, you know, if you're going to watch it for one thing, it would be this look and style of the film, the animation design. 
like the texture of the characters, the way the troll's hair looks like the actual hair of the dolls mm-hmm. that, you know, you would see in toy stores and all over the place. There's, there's an aesthetic that they use where like they use, it's almost like this whole world has been built by kids to play with these little trolls. Like they're running around using the trolls. For instance, there's this part where they're in like a Canyon type setup and the way the Canyon is made is it's like stacks of quilts. So it's almost like, you know, a kid has made this little play area that are like stacks of quilts and that's where they're going. And when you know you can, cause you can tell they're like blanket looking things. So it's, it's kind of this literally like a textured, um, look to the background it's 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 very unique to trolls and that's what kind of stood out in the first one and they did it here again but unfortunately it doesn't you know hold enough interest overall for the film to like to carry it yes so chris i have i have some some comments i wrote them down okay i'm actually got a little organized with this okay mainly the questions to you because there are things i don't (laughs) understand about the trolls universe that maybe the first film might have given me some important background on okay okay one um was poppy the character played by Anna, anna kendrick kind of the star of the film Yes. Was she this irritating and annoying in the first Trolls movie, or is that exclusive to just World Tour? Okay, so... Because this is a character that does not make any good decisions for (laughs) 95% of the running time of the movie, but everybody is still cool with following this character and in the end forgiving her for everything she does wrong. Right. Is that that kind of her thing? Is that, or is that, was that a little more unique here? This is a little hazy for me because it was 2016. So it's, it's been, Mm -hmm. it's been a little bit since I've seen it because I've only seen it once. Um, I mean, I think that is a little bit of her character, kind of this starry eyed, like everything's going to turn out. Okay. Always, you know, thinking the best and never being realistic. And that's where Justin Timberlake's character branch balances her out because he's the dark everything stinks like nothing's out you know and so they kind of complement each other and meet somewhere in the middle where he's the realist and she's the dreamer and it works at least in the first movie um Mm -hmm. i think they took that's the problem is they took things like the humor and the gags from the first movie and then just ramped it up to annoying you know (laughs) and so that's what you're talking about here it's just like she just keeps making all these bad decisions and it just gets old um and i i can totally see that um so that I, was a problem okay yeah go ahead no, no I, I have a couple more comments i have a ahead. positive have... that i think i'll bring up that you will also agree and say that you actually liked about the movie but yeah. before we get there um let me just let me just tackle a couple more things while Absolutely. i've got you on video conference and we're, we're doing this <laughs> saves us saves me a conversation i need to have with you later about this film anyway sure <laughs> the the concept of having babies in the troll universe was that properly explored in the first movie because it seemed like it was a little i was a little taken aback (laughs) by the fact that basically the trolls seem to self-reproduce is that is that a thing i mean i I mean it was a single it was a solo guy and all of a sudden he's like i'm having a baby and here comes a new one out of his head (laughs) um random that's a thing right that is is kind of a thing and random bodily functions like that are kind of a thing in the troll universe i believe if i'm not mistaken there again it's been four years in the first one there was a a character who basically farted glitter (laughs) so um, right yes there was the glitter and the glitter one is the one who had and the glitter guy is the one who had the glitter baby in this movie okay right so yeah okay all right yeah yeah so that that's kind of a thing um yeah. 
<laughs> right. Like yeah. I say, and I think it's and where... then, then my Oh, go ahead. No, and then my last question is more of a, a philosophical question for you, ah, Chris, on the on uh-oh. the trolls universe. So it the implication is that everybody every, all these trolls kind of migrated and formed their own communities based on the kind of music they listen to. Correct. Because they but couldn't if you're they couldn't bo- get along. So yeah. Right. But if you're born into one of those communities and you choose not to like that type of music, do you think there's some sort of um uh, defection process or any kind of other formality where they could leave and go to another camp? Or do you feel like it's pretty much they're locked in on the, uh, the camp that they're in and they just got to learn to like that music again. It's more a philosophical question. I'm asking you, Chris, your, your belief, not I'm questioning any values of the film right now. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's something that's kind of the grayness of the movie trolls world yeah. tour that they really could have investigated and really kind of, made more of a, a statement. It's like, that's what they set out to do, but instead it got so watered down of bringing in special guests to represent different parts of music that they kind of lost focus. But yeah, the yeah. idea was because they have, and I can't even remember the character's name. He looks like a rainbow giraffe is just what I'll call him. But he was right. a troll, but he sneaks away to go find like his true belonging with this other group that was the funk music, I believe, was where he was going. Yeah. And yeah, it's like he has to sneak away, but then there's never really talk about why can't I like both or yeah, it's just, it gets really kind and of he, watered down. he was a troll. He's a technically a troll. I mean, he was in the first movie and he, he was, doesn't look like a troll. He does not. He does not have the big like Afro mm. mop glow of hair. Yeah. No, he looks like a, a rainbow giraffe or something. Giraffe. Okay. Um, so yeah, he was confusing. He was a little confusing. <laughs> I'll be quite honest. And then the the large blue guy played by uh, James uh, Corden. James Corden didn't understand his character either. And the little thing he carried around with him, I, I <laughs> it was like a little glow worm. Yeah. yeah, and see, they were funny in the first movie, and then it's like they just took that and way expanded his role and everything. And I think, yeah, for the most part, it just didn't work for me. So whereas in the first movie, he was in such a small dose. That you know, because the main two characters were Poppy and Branch, and everybody else was just accents, that it kind of worked like the cloud worked in this movie. You know, I wanted more of the cloud, and he was only in the very beginning, and that was basically it. But instead, they added like a lot of biggie and a lot, which you know, James Corden is a a big deal, so they but it just overall didn't work for me. I would say too that some of the cameos that they put in this thing that weren't in the first film, such as Ozzy Osbourne, you can guess he was part of the rock you know, group. Then there was George Clinton. He of course was in the funk category. Mm-hmm. I felt like they actually could have made those cameos like, I don't know, make more use of them or something. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne says a lot that they actually got more use out of him than they did George Clinton. George Clinton, well, like there was like, there was just very glancing references. And I'm like, oh, that's an opportunity where well, they could have put something in there for the adults for them to like, be like, Oh, that's yeah. clever. But instead they just didn't, they yeah. didn't bother. Well, no. And it was, it was, to me, it was more distracting. It was more, Oh, here's, here's an old guy in a wheelchair. They're wheeling out of the rock camp. I bet you it's Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, look at <laughs> there. I bet that sounds just like Ozzy Osbourne. And the fact that they got as many words out of Ozzy Osbourne as they did uh, was pretty impressive. You could tell they were having to work around his vocal stylings a little bit. So sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I get it with these animated films, you pack in the star power and you spend more time afterwards looking up on the list to see who the actors were and what parts they were playing and all that. Um, 
I did think, you know, Sam Rockwell seemed to be kind of having a little bit of fun okay. as, uh, as Hickory, which is you know, kind of funny. So. See, that's the character that, um, that's Sam Rockwell's character, Hickory, I liked. And his kind yeah. of arc was very simplistic, but anyway, it was kind of a highlight for me. And, you know, surprise, Sam Rockwell is good in something. Um, yeah, so I, I actually really, I really liked yeah, that. Yeah, I, I did think his character was at least interesting. I gained yeah. a little bit more interest in the film when he came on the scene than before. But um, I don't know, Chris, it's tough. You said you had a positive. Is there another positive or, or, that, or was that, that was it? it? was Sam Rockwell, his character and kind okay. of his arc in All the story. Right. I really liked that. And I like the fact that, you know, we can read off the names, you know, we've already had James Corden. Justin Timberlake, Anna Kendrick, George Clinton, Mary J. Blige, Kenan Thompson, all these people like Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, you expect to see people, they've either voiced other animated characters before. It's just kind of typical. Sam Rockwell, not somebody I would expect to hear in a Trolls movie. Mm-hmm. So that that was like a little burn that made me kind of wake up a little bit. But I'm still like, mm-hmm. you know, this movie is obviously made for kids. You know, parents, if you're being forced to see one of them, see the first one. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it is cinematic comfort food. It was unique that it was went ahead and Universal released it digitally and people got to see it in their own homes. And I think because of that, maybe some people are being easier on the film than they otherwise might be because it's something to watch with their family. You know, so. I'm sure that's probably what it is, because, I mean, again, we were so limited on new entertainment options sure. that people haven't seen when it comes to movies. So the fact that this is, hey, I can pay 20 bucks in my family of five can all sit in the den and watch it tonight. Um, yeah, I get it. You're, you're probably going to get a little, little more slack on the film for that, but yeah, I just did. I did not enjoy it. <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not like a curmudgeon when it comes to animated films or all that. I mean, I, I think there's been some really, really good animated films over the years. Even the one we talked about onward. Uh, yeah. I think uh, you gave us a recommendation I did one or yeah. two episodes ago. I thought was, was good. And I thought was entertaining and it had enough to keep, both kids and adults kind of engaged with it. This one, yeah, I, 20 minutes in, I could tell I'm not getting anything out of this movie and just kind of persevere for an hour and a half. So, you know, the thing to me, it seemed like if you remember Alan growing up in the, you know, the 80s, 70s, 80s, it's very emblematic of me to like what a half hour or no, I think it was usually 15 minute Smurfs episode would have been. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. They kind of present this really quick premise. But then, unless it's to be continued, which they did sometimes in the Smurfs, it would basically be done in like 15 minutes, you know? And that's this whole movie. The plot was so stretched thin about, oh, you know, all these different kind of, they could have wrapped it up in like half an hour, you know? And that's the problem is that there wasn't enough there to make it. But, you know, little kids, all they care about is, yeah, some crazy pop songs and some sequences that are fun to watch. They'll be entertained for it. So, yeah, not not targeted for adults, but... You know. the, the first 10 minutes are just a big music video, basically with hardly any plot. Sure. And then I, I looked as well. The film is an hour and a half long, but the last 10 to 12 minutes are credits and dancing sequence as well. So go. really you've cut out a whole half hour of the film just from the opening and closing credits or, or sequences. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it, it, there's at least five or six other musical numbers in that other hour. So yeah, it, you boil it all down. It's, it is what it is. I, I'm not, I'm not a fan. <laughs> sure. um, I'm fortunate that, you know, I don't have, well, I don't say I'm fortunate because I don't have younger kids. I think I don't 
have kids that will watch kids films anymore. They're sure. teenager, teenage boys and above. So this film would never have made it w- its way into our viewing history. So at least I can say, Chris, thank you for exposing me to something that I would have no <laughs> other reason to watch. Unfortunately, I did not enjoy it. So well, think of this from a historical perspective, you can say that you saw a big tent pole movie that would have been in theaters, but was released digitally. And it was kind of like sure. a, a big news item. So, And it's <laughs> Trolls World Tour is going to be in the history books forever as having done that. So, Well, and it okay. may, it hit all sorts of, um, I can't like marks for Universal, like, of course, because it wasn't released otherwise but it's like the most money-making digital movie that universal has ever put out but that's because it's, it's that's the only way people could see well, it it wasn't really the problem computer. is chris i mean again i don't want to i don't i don't think we have a soapbox ep, um, segment planned for this episode but unfortunately you saying that kind of makes me feel a little regret because the more popular a film like this is the the more the chances are whenever our theater situation settles down and people start going theater start opening up studios may be looking at this and saying hey you know what we did pretty good just going straight online with this so do we really need movie theaters for a film like this i don't know yeah Um, i don't don't know don't know that's a bigger question for another day but that is trolls world tour it is available online right now you can rent it for a i think a 48 hour period right now i'm sure in the next month or two it'll become available for rental on a shorter or less expensive basis um I'm I'm saying unless it gets down to like, you know, 99 cents and you got kids in the house and you need something to kill an hour and a half, then maybe. But at the otherwise I'm I'm saying skip it. Chris. I, I, we're on the same page. Yeah. Red box rental or something. Yeah, for your grandkids or you know, kids that are dying to see the sequel. Yeah, but you can just put it on and walk out of the room and, you know, go watch something else. So uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to another film review and see if we have any different takes on this one. This is the latest film from director-actor, although he's not directing this film, uh, but it's acting, uh, starring Mr. Ben Affleck, sports movie, basketball movie called The Way Back. What's going on with you? What's new? Not much. I hate the idea of you down there by yourself all the time. Just drinking. I'm fine. I appreciate it. But it's, I'm fine. Ever since I heard the how and when. And I suppose you're wondering why I called you over here. I didn't need to go where a Bible went. Our basketball coach had a heart attack the other night. We need a new coach, Jack. And you know your gifts seem heaven sent. Is the team any good? No. The last time they made the playoffs, back when you were playing. Let's go, line up. You're Marcus, right? That's right. How many threes did Marcus make last year? A percentage of 26. Yeah. Want to know why they're leaving you open? It's because they don't think you could hit the ocean from the beach. Oh. <laughs> Yo, he just spit backs at your ass, bro. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how you house the sin. So how you liking coaching so far? Great. Just getting used to the players. What players? I was never sure how much of you I could let in. I heard you're coaching basketball. Yeah. Keeps me busy. Keeps my mind off other things, you know. Won't you settle down, baby? You love your spin. I spent a lot of time hurting myself. Heavenly Father. I made a lot of bad decisions. Don't carry other names. I had a lot of regrets. 
was on the line, I want you taking that shot. Why is that so hard for you to believe? What? That you're the best player on the team. I know you're suffering. I just want you to be happy again, but you gotta want it too. Chris, I have a very complicated history with Ben Affleck. Oh, wow. So let me just back really? you up. I think okay. this, has been, this has been discussed in our uh, shows before. Okay. But I generally speaking, do not think Ben Affleck is a very good actor. Ah. Um, I have not been impressed with any of his acting work in many, many years. Actually, the last time I can remember is looking, watching a film and thinking he's actually acting was way back the Kevin Smith film, Chasing Amy. Okay. That was probably the first time I've seen him in a starring role. And I remember thinking, okay, this guy's pretty good. I, I, I like what he's doing here. He's playing a very natural character. Um, and Chasing Amy, I think, is one of Kevin Smith's better films. And I thought it just worked really well. Since then, it's been diminishing returns as far as I'm concerned with, with Mr. Affleck. Um, I've always felt his, his acting was very wooden. I never felt like I really believed any of his characters. And there also just seemed to be a, more of a smugness and a just, a, a, yeah, smugness is probably the best word I can give for it in a lot of his work. Now, he did something to impress me in that he became a director as well. I believe he directed the films The Town. Um, he directed the film... Um, did you Argo? Oh, what's... Argo. Yes, Argo. absolutely. Okay. The one that was nominated for a bunch of awards and all too. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of those films I thought were good. I actually, I, I'm like, okay, I like Mr. Affleck as a director. Um, don't like him as an actor, but I do like what he's doing as a director. I think he's got some good chops and I'm, I'm ready to see more of his work. Then he took a little detour into what I call the DC extended universe world where he played Batman. Which... And I thought it was horrible. Um, <laughs> I thought his Batman was not good which and didn't be, enjoy him a bit to be fair mm -hmm. dc has kind of been rough rough all around well, it's been rough to a lot of people <laughs> but i felt like he came out pretty pretty worse for wear okay. um plus there were rumors that he was going to be directing the batman which is the next batman movie right and then that movie got canned he removed himself or he got removed we're not, i'm not really sure from the project and he's now completely uh disconnected from the whole superhero genre so all that to be said, Chris, very complicated relationship with Ben Affleck. I am not excited to see him as a actor. However, uh, the way back, I saw the previews for this when it was announced and I became even more torn because I love underdog sports movies. Uh. So you're telling me, oh my gosh, I've got to choose now. The Way Back is an underdog sports movie that looks to be shot like with some real like grittiness to it and not overly glossy. I'm like, I like that. But it stars Ben Affleck. And now Ben Affleck has had some trouble with alcoholism and other things in his own personal life, very public about that. So this film has kind of come out as a him a little more cathartic film for him to act out something that he's been experiencing in his own personal life. So, Chris, this is a tough film for me to honestly gauge because it's playing with a genre I have a soft spot in my heart for. Right. Films like Hoosiers and Rudy and Remember the Titans and Miracle and all that. I love them. 
love those films, but it's starring someone that I just do not enjoy seeing on screen. So I'm going to kick it over to you just to kind of ask you, sure. Uh, what what wins this film, if anything, for you? So your options are this: either a, either a Ben Affleck won this film for you, b the format, the sports, the 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 games, the the the, the players, all the sports side of it won the film for you, or c neither of the above and nothing worked for you. So where 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 do you fall closer on this the spectrum of those three options? So I'm going to need to add a fourth option. And that would be A nor B worked for me, but the film worked. <laughs> so I'll explain. I'll explain myself. I didn't even know that was an option. Okay, please, please explain that because I did not know that was an okay. option at all. So I'll have to walk it back a little bit. You named four sports movies. Of those four, Miracle, yeah. uh, or Clash of the Titans, <laughs> Remember the Titans, and two are Rudy yes. and classic sports movie yeah. Clash of the Titans. Of yes. those four that you named, which it's, you can tell how familiar I am with them because I can't actually get their titles right. Of those four you mentioned, I've only seen two of them. Um, sports movies aren't my thing. Um, which two? Do, which two of those did you? I see? have seen Remember the Titans, and I have seen. Uh oh, now I can't even remember. I haven't seen Miracle. I haven't seen Rudy. Hoosiers. Hoosiers. So I've seen Hoosiers. Gene okay. Hackman. Of course, I've right. seen that. Yes. Um, so I've seen yeah, 50... Hoosiers. It, can we just be clear? Hoosier's the best of that whole bunch, right? Sure. Well, I mean, I've only seen yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of the of two the I've two. seen. I'm saying of the whole batch, okay. I'm saying Hoosier's is the best. But anyway, go right ahead. So you know, it's not it's not really my not really my thing. I think because I'm such a curmudgeon. You know, if you make a sports movie, I kind of already know how it's going to turn out because obviously, if it wasn't a fantastic story and a comfort then you wouldn't be making a movie of it. <laughs> so nobody makes movies about the teams that like have a winning season and go and then just get absolutely run over or whatever. And it's like, Oh wow, that was really disappointing. And then all the kids like, you know, drop out of high school because they're so depressed. You don't make a movie about that. Um, so, you know, things like another sports movie that I have seen, we are Marshall stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, okay, I, I get it. You know, just not my type of thing. Um, however, so, you know, Ben Affleck, I'm just kind of either way on him. I, I think he's done some good stuff. Yes, the Justice League DC stuff was not good. But I think of something that I think people forget about because it wasn't really his movie, but I think he did a really good job in it. Gone Girl. I thought he was amazing in Gone Girl. Oh, yeah. Gone Girl. He was good in Gone Girl. You're right. And that wasn't too long ago. I mean, yeah. Gone Girl kind of played with his persona a little bit, too. It did. So, yeah. um, I mean, that's only, know, from, think... that's only from 2014. So it wasn't too long ago. Yeah. Um, but why, why I needed the option of D is because going into this movie, you know, I said, okay, I'm watching a sports movie. You know, here's what's going to happen. In my head, I had certain things that were going to happen. A, you know, it's set up that at the beginning of the movie, he is not, he's separated. I don't think he's actually divorced, but I think he's separated. Things Correct. happen. And I'm like, okay, yep, he's going to mend things and you know, wife's going to swoop in. He's going to become a better man because of her. Okay. That trope was avoided. Uh, another trope that was avoided was, um, I I won't spoil anything for those who haven't seen the movie. Um, actually two, two, uh, two more things. A, this isn't one of the most winning things about it. You know, I don't remember much from the preview, although I saw it a bunch when we used to go to movie theaters back when that's where we watched blockbuster movies. But I remember seeing the trailer and I'd forgotten 
this wasn't based on a true story. That right there of it not coming at the based on a true story and not having the, Mm -hmm. you know, credits at the end that say this person went on to do this, this, like not having that trope elevated the movie a little bit for me. True. And then the third thing without spoiling the ending, there's a, especially considering that this wasn't based on a true story, how things tie up were pleasant, a pleasant surprise for me in that they didn't, Mm type as neatly as you might imagine so that that kind of made this movie i was like oh that was kind of interesting you know i, I thought it was yeah. it was more interesting i responded to it better than i thought i would have i guess if that makes hmm. sense okay so well let me before i get into my my take on it and kind of counter with you uh, just as a little background on the plot here i didn't really mention in the setup kind of what the film was about really but so jack cunningham played by mr affleck he, he was a high school basketball phenom that we learned who walked away from the sport uh, years ago. Uh, but then now here he is years later, he gets offered kind of oddly offered <laughs> a high school coaching basketball coaching job because their previous coach had a heart attack. Uh, so he feels like this is a little bit of a shot at redemption. And you come to find out through the film what it's, he's feeling redemption about. Right. Um, so it is a true underdog, but I, I like the fact that it, it's it's close to Hoosiers and that Hoosiers was more about the coach, I felt like, than it was the players. Mm-hmm. Most other sports films we see focus a lot more on the players. Sure. This one, this one was is truly about the coach. Um, I actually feel like a fault of the film is they they the one trope they do fall into, like other sports films, is to try to follow too many character little subplots. And I feel like this is a film that danced on that a little bit, but didn't didn't explore any of them other than the coach. I wish they would have just focused completely on the coach and not try to go show us a little glimpses of some of the players' personal lives and open up, up a subplot that doesn't really go anywhere. Um, but I'm with you, Chris. I liked it. I thought it was actually really good. I thought it was surprising. I thought uh, it, I thought the things that I do like about sports films, this one handled really, really well. Um, the games themselves were fun to watch. They even played against convention a little bit. The very first game. That was uh, awesome. We don't, we awesome. don't see, which I thought was great. Actually, the um, first couple of games you don't see. And I really liked how they not did really. That. Yeah. They would you do just this. get a freeze frame yeah. and it just shows you the score up on the screen. I'm like, Oh, that was nice. Okay, and it was like, like you'd see them start to play. And then it was like, yeah. Right. yeah, I like. I thought that obviously was they were they're dimension. they're more concerned about the drama going on off the court than they are on the court. But I thought right. the on the court stuff was handled really well. Sure. And I mean, I, it, I felt like it was fun to watch. It was interesting. Um, I thought all the kids playing the the players were all really good. They seemed very realistic. They seemed pretty natural. I didn't feel like there was any just uh, really over the top performances there. Although it was great. But let me get to Mr. Affleck. Okay. I mean, I still don't like him as an actor, but I feel like if I was to meet Mr. Affleck personally and hang out with him, he would be Jack Cunningham. Ah, So in other words, I feel like this is him playing himself. And if that's the case, I thought he did okay with it. He did pretty good. So I actually kind of enjoyed his performance in this film. So, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe that's why I thought, you know, his performance didn't stand out one way or the other. Not that he did bad, but he didn't necessarily do good because it was just a very kind of, understated even keel performance where you know he's he he does a serviceable job um i like the film but like you're saying some things you know are just plot convenient like you're saying Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
he magically gets offered this job out of nowhere. <laughs> that was a stretch. That had me worried at the beginning of the film because that happens like 15 minutes in. And you're like, oh man, did they really just make this big leap of logic jump for a strongly devout religious-based high school that just because this guy was a star player there, what, you know, 15 years, 20 years ago. Right. Um, but he has no coaching experience. Surely people in the community knew that this guy has a reputation for drinking a lot. And well, all and that. They, they even call that out at some points. Like, yeah, yeah we see his car at just, the bar all the time. So like, how is the he? The is just like right away. Well, we're oh, going to okay. offer him the head job. <laughs> Go for it. Right. And I thought that was a real big irritant convenience. Luckily the film didn't go too far down that inconvenient road. I didn't feel like the rest of the film as much, but that first little bit did have me really worried that this was going to be an overly contrived film. Um, I feel like the filmmakers and, and, and Affleck and everybody else involved really wanted to make this a, a, a very natural, real portrayal of a situation like this. And I thought they pulled it off. I felt like it was very natural. I think the decisions people made later in the film were honest and good and I, I believed them and you come to find out more about Jack's past and sure. some of the things that are haunting him. I thought those were done very tastefully and they only reveal a little bit of information at a time, which I thought built up a nice relationship with him. Um, and then, like you said, uh, I'm looking at the counter because that's one thing, unfortunately, when you're watching a film now on your laptop or whatever, you have, you know how much time's left in the film. You don't know that in a movie theater. And I'm realizing that, wow, we're, we're getting close to the end of the film and this film is not going to end the way I expected it to. <laughs> right. And I was okay with that. Oh, so I was anyway, super okay I, with it. Let me, let yeah, me, yeah. let me ask your opinion on something too. Um, one of the things I remember, you know, I said, I didn't remember a lot about the trailer. I couldn't remember if it said based on a true story, but I remember seeing that it was R. It was rated yes. R. And that kind of surprised me because that when I think, you know, feel good sports movies or things like that. I think, yeah, this is kind of a movie where dads can go see it with their, you know, young son or whatever, who maybe is playing basketball at the Y and kind of like inspire him, all these kind of things. And this one was R. And I was kind of surprised that, especially because it wasn't based on a true story, I was surprised that they they went that route. Um, and I think, you know, they pound the alcoholism pretty heavy. Um I thought it was kind of, I thought they were doing an okay job, but when they kept showing him in the shower drinking a beer, I was like, okay, I guess that's really a thing. I guess people do drink a beer while in the shower. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was a little odd, but I also thought like surprising to me that I felt like they just threw in an obscene amount of profanity for a non Eddie Murphy movie. <laughs> that, that I was just kind of surprised that they, they went that route. But there again, I guess it's like, no, this is how this guy's going to talk. He's really passionate. Well, Let's do it. So, But I tell you, I think they actually had a purpose to it. And okay. I felt like there's even a scene, which I really liked, in the bus at one point about midway through the film. So Jack has been coaching for a couple games now. Yeah. And yeah, he is profanity-laced, very, very rough on the boys. At a Catholic and high school. Yeah. At a Catholic high school where they have a, a the priest joining them on the team <laughs> priest who goes with them on there. Right. And I thought they actually had a good, interesting conversation where, you know, it's just like, hey, Jack, you know, you need to, we really need you to watch the language. And then, and then Jack kind of responds with something kind of, I thought was actually kind of provocative. It's like, with everything else going on in the world, do you really think just the words I say really are going to make that big of a difference? And then the priest is like, 
Well, I think in the way that you portray yourself to these boys, yes, I do. And it's because like, they look up it's to a you. good yeah. topic of conversation about, you know, the idea of profanity and harsh language and yelling. And I mean, both had points and sure. I thought it was good. Now, granted, the film didn't really spend a lot of time on it after that. It became more of a punchline that every time you see the priest, he's rolling his eyes or huffing and puffing <laughs> because Jack's still cursing up a storm. But um, I mean, but it's, it's who these kids were. It's who he was. I mean, I felt like. I thought it was an interesting angle to take. I'm glad it was a rated R film because I think that added a layer to the film of more realism. Made it kind of stand think, out uh, from some other typical sports movies that I was talking about maybe. And it wasn't, didn't feel as sanitized either. I mean, I, I don't feel like anybody was sanitized in this film to made to look good. You mm-hmm. know, um, everybody had was pretty natural, pretty, pretty down the earth people. So um, I'll, a couple things I'll, I'll point out that I thought were really nice. Um, I like the the look of the film. The look kind of had this real graininess to it, which I think, you know, added a lot to this idea of, I really feel like this is fairly authentic in, in the, its depiction. I thought the music, it was all orchestral, which was, mm. you wouldn't think would be a match, but after a while it actually kind of worked for the film and I liked the, I liked the score a lot. Um, and then there's one game. I think that's the first game where we actually really watched some gameplay. Okay. And it's taking place in this other high school and it's like this giant, hanger like gym and all the energy of the high school students in there it felt very real i will say i thought it was a really authentic scene that's one of their biggest rivals yeah Yeah, the big rival and it's like this really well shot kind of airport hanger looking gym where they play in but it's wall to wall these kids and they're chanting the kind of things you expect them to chant and people were standing up on the sides because you know that's the way it was in a high school game it was like not everybody was all sitting down and it just seemed very real. So I kind of felt like, you know, at that moment, the, the, the film was hitting a groove and I was kind of digging it at that point. So, um, yeah, I like a couple of little nitpicks. I mean, the film was doing really well and about not giving us a lot of exposition, you know, for the first half of the film, I don't remember anybody ever sitting down and saying, Jack, you're this way because this happened and this happened. And don't you remember what happened in your past? And the film was so good about just letting us see things and, and learn things as we go along. But then about two thirds of the way through before things start getting up to a big game, there's a dinner scene where there's like this precocious little kid who's like this stats genius. And he's like, well, this is why yeah. this next game is so important. And <laughs> it's so important if Jack's team doesn't win, they're not going to be able to do this. And this is why this game means so much. And I'm just like, really? It's like, you've done so good with this whole film, not spoon feeding us information. And yet, we got to have this little 10 year old kid at a dinner table play the stats guy on the team and, and telling us exactly why this next part of the film is so important. And we have to really pay attention <laughs> to this game. It's like that just, uh, it didn't need that. You sure. could have figured everything out naturally. So anyway, um, otherwise though, I liked it. I thought it was good. I, uh, you know, uh, it's not perfect. It's, it's got, it, it still has enough stereotypical sports movies thing to keep people entertained, but I do like the way it ended. I think it was a little surprising. Um, you know, I think it had some interesting things to say too. So I, I overall, I liked the film. I thought it was good. Yeah. It, it was, you know, it's the standard definition for me of a film that's, Oh, it was good. You know, yeah. it's not groundbreaking, but, you know, if I was to rate a thing from one to five stars, which we sometimes give out on the show just off the cuff, yeah, it'd probably be a solid three, you know? It's not groundbreaking, but it's solid. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you asked me about Mr. Affleck. I'd probably do yeah, a three. He's still capable you know, of acting to me. Yeah. I mean, five-star letterbox for me, I'd be waffling between three and three and a half. I mean, you know, it's going to be in that range, um, which is good. I mean, anything three and above, I'm like, yeah, I'll recommend it to people. It's worth seeing. So it's good. Yeah. So I like the way back. So I kind of felt like this was a one for me, one for you type of deal today with our reviews. <laughs> Because, you know, you are the one that said we should watch the next Trolls movie. Right. I'm the one that kind of it's a little hard for the, the Affleck movie. So, anyway. Um, looks like I won, though. You did. Mine was Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, that's our two reviews for the show. We are going to take a really quick break. When we come back, Chris has some movie news to share with us that we're going to break down and talk about some upcoming productions or directors making some uh, choices on projects. And then we'll end the show with both Chris and I each giving a recommendation of a film that we recently just caught back up with or saw for the first time and are willing to recommend to you as something we think is worth your time. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We are the co-founders and co-directors of both the Foot Candle Film Society, an ongoing film society here in Western North Carolina, exploring independent, alternative, classic, foreign, and documentary films for the audiences here in our area. And then we're also the co-directors and founders of the Foot Candle Film Festival, also held here in Western North Carolina in September of each year. We do have our next festival coming up September 23rd through the 27th, Chris. That's it. Um, So we will be posting a lot more information about that and schedule of films and ways to get tickets to the films in July. So we encourage you to keep your eyes peeled for that and help join us for the film festival if you're able to later this year. Uh, and also, you're listening to this podcast on the Mesh.TV podcast network. This is a network also based out of Western North Carolina with a lot of original content and shows and uh, podcasts for you to listen to. Most of them audio programs. We do have a few video programs on the network as well, but all of them are free. If you go to the Mesh.TV on your web browser, you will find all of the shows with buttons to let you subscribe to them through your pl- podcast platform of choice. And uh, we're happy to be a part of the network. We have a lot of fun doing the show and we uh, encourage you to subscribe if you're having a good time listening to this and want to catch up with upcoming episodes as well. Now, Chris, this is the part of the show where normally we have a little more fleshed out, but you know, of course we're in quarantine, so we have to kind of take whatever we can get, but we do like to talk through some movie news segments. We like to talk a little bit about upcoming projects or uh, announcements that have been made about directors or actors or films that are upcoming that we think may be interesting. And Chris, I believe you have a few notes to share with us today. So what's, what's on your docket? So, you know, we had talked before about how Denis Villeneuve was going to make a new version of Dune. We'd even talked a little bit about the casting that Timothy Chalamet was going to play the, one of the lead characters. Well, just within the past week or so, the internet, being the internet, has released pictures that I believe came from like a Vanity Fair shoot or something like that. They had done some photos 
And uh, Alan, have you seen these pictures of uh, the shoot of Dune? Mm-hmm. And uh, what are your thoughts on them? Well, I mean, it's just some still photos. So Stills. it's kind of, it's hard to say, but I will say, I mean, it's pretty much exactly what I expected a Dune film directed by Denis Villeneuve to look like. Um, they're beautiful shots. <laughs> and there you go. And it looks like it's on the Dune. See, again, I don't know Dune, so I don't know. Did you ever see the David the pl- Lynch version? I muddled through the David Lynch version. <laughs> I think you and most everybody did. So. <laughs> when it showed up on broadcast TV. So that was even a more awkward way to watch it. Sure. Um, is Dune the planet? Is Dune? What, what, yes. what is Dune? Well, Dune, Dune is I, the planet. Well, I think the planet's actually called Arrakis maybe, but Dune is just kind of like their term for it. Cause you know, it has all these sand dunes and everything. So, yeah. Okay. So when I'm seeing a picture of Timothy Fat Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson, standing on a mountaintop and they're surrounded by mountains and canyons and sand. That is Dune. Well, that is Arrakis, AKA Dune. Yes, you are correct. Commonly known as Dune. (laughs) Right. Right. Now some geek out there is probably going to like write it. Feel free to write into info. Bring it on. Bring it on. Info at the info at the mesh.tv or info at footkindle.org, whichever one you want to go ahead. School me on this. I'm ready for it. Yeah. And me, I've actually, what's really sad is I've actually read the book and I've seen the David Lynch Mm. movie and I still don't remember the differentiation between the two. So, no, I'm looking forward to it because I do like Villeneuve. I mean, we've talked about it before. I'm a fan of pretty much all of his films. Blade Runner 2049, Arrival, um, Enemy. Um, what was the one he did with uh, Hugh Jackman? And, was it uh, Prisoners? Prisoners, yeah. yeah. Prisoners was a good surprising movie as well. So, no, I'm a fan. I, I like all of his work, and I'm excited to see him tackle this uh, this tale as well, especially since the original Dune uh, it's kind of been derided a lot in in society. You know, oh, sure. it just didn't really, even uh, even Lynch, you know, doesn't like to talk about Dune anymore. Yeah, they, he didn't about, allow his name to be in the credits. I think he's not credited. Yeah, so it's, yeah. So it's kind of it was a bad experience for a lot of people involved, and did not really speak to the the audience like like they were hoping. Sure. So if anybody's got a chance to do something with us, I think Dylan uh, uh, is the guy. I hope so. Anyway. So, Dylan you, not Dylan you, Dylan you. Dylan you. So here's the thing, real quick hot take, which I actually saw in association with this story, Alan. I want your yes or no, that person's crazy. Saw the conjecture on the internet that peop- this person was saying Blade Runner 2049 was superior to the original because of Villeneuve's vision and the cinematography. Your take. <laughs> superior to the Ridley Scott original. Um, I think that's a tough question. I think it's, I think it's visually and probably acting quality and style wise. Yes. I think it may be better than the original Blade Runner story wise. I got to give it back to the original. I think the original is a much tighter story and, and just is a little more interesting, but I still love 2049. I just feel like it's maybe a tad spectacle over story. Okay. Um, Fair so enough. Anyway. But I think both are really good. So I, I think it was a very worthy sequel, and I, it's a shame it didn't do better box office wise, which has got me a little worried about Dune. Because um, here's a hot property that science fiction fans have been wanting a good at movie adaptation for a long time. You put a great director that's gotten a little acclaim for doing some great science fiction. He did really well with Arrival. People loved it. It got mm-hmm. nominated for things. 
24 Blade Runner 2049 kind of went out with a whimper and even it though did. people loved it that saw it not a lot of people saw it so I'm I'm nervous about what Dune will do box office wise um granted that shouldn't be the, the measurement of the film but if we want this guy to keep doing more work and getting more projects obviously we want his work to be seen by people so and that, be very interesting wish- yeah, it will be. And supposedly uh, the date is still supposed to be December 18th is when this is going to hit theaters. They're actually saying hitting theaters. So that's that's something to look forward well, to. December, I think, is fine. I mean, I think we're, we're you know, it, it's past that window of time that we're all a little nervous about right now with, with movies. Sure. That basically, that March through, I'd say July, it's kind of that danger zone. But after July, I think I'm hopeful we'll start to see things pick up. And this is a film I definitely would want to see on a big screen. Oh yes, absolutely. Actually, I can't think of a, a, a villain new film. I wouldn't want to see on the big screen. It's just, he, he's got a great way with his vision and, and style on, on screen. So I'd agree. So um, right, what else you got for us? Next item I have is Barry Jenkins, the guy who directed Moonlight. He has been rumors about that he was thinking about trying to develop a sequel that would follow the character from the point that we left off in the last movie and kind of you know advance his story a little bit. Well, oh, he's, and I, I hope it wasn't going to be called Daylight or something. Or just trying to <laughs> now, I don't know. That that would be interesting. Mm, um, but as far he's kind of said, no, I have kicked that Good. around, but I'm I'm putting that on the Good. side. I'm not really going to do that. Instead, he said that he is um, was about to start filming, I believe. Um, but then, you know, it stopped, paused right now. But uh, Underground Railroad, which is based on a best-selling novel by Colson Whitehead, and as the title talks about, it doesn't follow Harriet Tubman like through the Underground Railroad, but it follows, it's a fiction novel that basically follows people that are taking advantage of the Underground Railroad, trying mm. to escape to freedom. Um, having read the book myself, I think it would be an awesome um, film. I, I think... Barry Jenkins is definitely the type of person who could bring it to the screen. He's a very visual director with the way he did the visuals in uh, Moonlight. And he's also an actor's director. So I think mm. um, Underground Railroad, when it does get made, um, I think that will be one to watch. I think it could be really good. Very exciting. We're getting a lot of uh, a surgence of films about Harriet Tubman or related to that with the film Harriet just uh, last year and now right. this one coming up. And I heard another one also talked about as well. And then there's that film too, that uh, Janelle Monet was going to be in. Uh, oh. Was it Antebellum? Yeah. Okay. I remember hearing so about that, that. I think was supposed to be released this summer, but oh. obviously that's maybe been changed. So sure. uh, just some interesting, interesting films kind of in that subject matter. I'm excited to see and, and see what these directors do with them. So, And I'll move quickly on to our next uh, story item. This one I know Alan has heard about because, you know, is it is it dealing with superhero movies at all? It it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I absolutely have heard about it, but go ahead. So uh, Mr. Sam Raimi has come out and confirmed that he is indeed the director of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, <laughs> many people feel like this is, you know, exciting news. He did some of the Spider-Man movies, the Evil Dead movies. Um, his first film, this will be his first film since 2013's Oz the Great and Powerful, which we did review Ugh. on the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Alan, what are what are your thoughts about Mr. Ramey confirming oh, his directorship? Totally excited. Totally yeah. excited. Um, so, uh, you know, Sam Ramey, known like like you said, the Evil Dead movies back in the early '80s, mid '80s. 
Um, he did the original Spider-Man trilogies one, two, and three uh, with Tobey Maguire back in the 2000s. I think so. Um, and he also did Drag Me to Hell, which I thought was kind of fun. I enjoyed that movie. I have never um, seen that. I need to check that's that. That's actually out. a fun. You are, you should check that out. It's actually okay. kind of a fun fun. It's you know, yeah, it's a fun movie. It's okay. A fun little movie. It's a horror um, but kind of spoof movie type it, thing. No, it's not a spoof. It's a horror movie, but okay. it's a lot more uh, it's a it's a lot more tongue in cheek. Gotcha. Humor. Um so it doesn't PG take itself thirteen too movie, so it's oh it's PG thirteen. Yeah, no, it's really it is. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's huh. fun though. Yeah, I think you'd like it. Okay. Um so, you know, he has a definitely a, a big visual style. He's, he's known for a little more macabre humor and kind of that more blending of horror and humor, which I think would work with a Doctor Strange movie, especially the one called In the Multiverse of Madness. I mean, sure. it just seems like a perfect fit for Sam Raimi. I think it's interesting that, you know, this is an official Marvel Universe movie and Sam Raimi was known for doing the Spider-Man movies that were under Sony back in... The 2000s, Sony still owns Spider-Man, but has now partnered with Marvel. So things have kind of come a little full circle. Um, I've got a theory of something that may happen in this film, just because. Oh, really? Well, let's hear it. Because, I'm all about well, because you throw out the term, and I have nothing to base this on off of just the fact that the word multiverse is in the title. Oh, and, you think animated uh, spider Man's going to come out and like hang out with Doctor Strange? Even better, I could actually see the Sam Raimi version of Spider-Man showing up in a scene uh, and being a part of it, too. Because, I mean, again, I I don't know how they're going to play this, but the whole end of the Spider-Verse that came out as an animated movie kind of played with this whole idea of blending different types, versions of Spider-Man and all. You bring Sam Raimi in and you have a multiverse concept. I don't know. I I think they could really have a lot of fun with it. So I'm excited. I'm happy to see it. Now, I will say... The first Doctor Strange movie I thought was good. Uh, it wasn't one of my favorite Marvel movies, but I thought it was serviceable and it did what it needed to do. Scott Derrickson, I believe, was the uh, director on that, who was also known more for horror films. Um, he stepped away from the project. That's when Sam Raimi came in. So I'm always disappointed when the guy who started the film series steps away from it. But at least if you're going to put in a replacement, Sam Raimi seems like a pretty good fit. So. Well, I remember, I think maybe it was this time last year or maybe it was after Endgame came out and they kind of released, you know, here's the rollout of all the Marvel films that are going to be coming. They announced this title. And I guess at the time Derrickson was still associated with it, but they said, yeah, this whole multiverse of madness, it's going to become kind of like a Marvel horror film. And I remember you and I talking about, I was like, that sounds really interesting. I mean, granted it's going to be Disney fied or whatever. So it's not going to be radar but just be like kind of weird, creepy, eerie. I was like, that's, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Sad. The original guy stepped away, but to have Sam Raimi step into doing something like this, considering he's done evil dead. Yeah. I'm still interested, still curious as to what it ends up being. So very much. so. Well, I think I, I overall I think it was good news. I mean, I'm, you know, I know we, we talk about these, these Marvel and superhero and DC movies a lot. You know, to me, the most important critical element of this is you've got to have a great visionary director to do something interesting with it. And I will say, I at least believe whether you like Sam Raimi's films or not, he will try to do something interesting with it. So I'm going to I'm excited about that. I mean, I kind of feel the same way about James Gunn, who did the Guardians of the Galaxies movies. You know, he was someone who also had his background in horror movies and 
um, kind of obscure off the over off the over the top films. And he applied that to some degree to the first Guardians of the Galaxy, and it turned out really good because of that. So um, you take a director. I mean, again, nothing against Scott Derrickson. I don't know his other work. But that first Doctor Strange, I thought, was pretty by the numbers for the most part. And, you know, so I'm excited to see if Sam Raimi can really juice it up and do something really, really fun and creative with this. Agreed. Hopefully, hopefully uh, it'll it'll come to pass and we'll see. That's all I have for news, Alan. Um, I think that sounds good. I know there's not a lot more out there right now. So uh, other than just hearing about more delays and closures, but we're not going to deal with that today. We've talked about that enough the last couple episodes. So why don't we just move right into our recommendations then, Chris? You and I have had a lot more time at home, like everybody else is. Sure. Uh, it's a good way to spend time is with uh, some films. Uh, luckily, my family, I'll just kind of set this up before I jump into my recommendation, if you don't mind me going first. Sure. Because it actually ties into what you just mentioned as the last news story. Okay. Um, so my family, it's been really nice this past week or two to say every couple of nights, they've said, hey, dad let's watch a movie and well, we watch a movie that you're a big fan of that maybe we all haven't watched as a family or haven't seen together. So that's been really cool because I've gotten to share like four or five different movies with them over the last couple of weeks that are really good favorites of mine that we haven't all watched as a family unit before. Um, I'll mention some of these. They're not ones that are, I'm going to give as recommendations because I think they're, some of them are pretty obvious. You know, we, uh, my wife and I caught up with silence of the lambs, still really good movie. Still one of my favorites. Uh, my boys wanted to watch Gladiator, which they had not seen. So we actually watched the Russell Crowe Gladiator movie, and they really enjoyed that. Um, but then the film we watched just last night, and I was so excited because one of my family members asked for us to watch it. And it made me so happy to be able to put it on and watch it. And it was co-written by Sam Raimi. Do you know what film I'm talking about, Chris? A uh, film that was co-written by Sam Raimi. No? You probably do not even remember that he was credited as a co-writer. He's one of three writers on the film. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Got it? It is The Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, yeah. Sam Raimi wrote, he wrote with Joel and Ethan Cohn, The Hudsucker Proxy. He is listed as one of the three writers. So kind of nice little connection there. You happen to mention the Doctor Strange story. Um, Hudsucker Proxy, I will fair admission, I recommended it way early on in the our, our Foot Candle Films podcast career. Uh, but I'm recommending it again. I do not care. Rules be damned here, Chris. There I'm going to mention this one again. <laughs> because, again, every time I hop online and want to read up on people's opinions of the Hudsucker Proxy, I get so frustrated because so many people do not see this film as as fun. And I just have the absolute best time with this film. I think it is great. I think it is one of the Coen's better films. Uh, they've made great films. I, I, there's so many other films of theirs I like, but this one's right up there. And probably as far as like to just be able to put on and enjoy and laugh and really get into the story, it's right up there for me. So we follow Norval Barnes. He is a uh, move to the big city of New York City, takes a job at the Hudsucker Corporation in the mailroom quickly makes his way up to CEO thanks to the untimely passing of Mr. Warring Hudsucker who decides to jump out the 44th floor, 45th, if you count the mezzanine, out the floor out there and uh, commit suicide. 
by doing that, uh, the, the, the board decides they need to depress the stock so they can actually buy back all the shares, which are going to be made to the public. So to do that, they need to put in a Patsy CEO, someone who's going to instill panic in the uh, shareholders as a whole, and enter Norval Barnes, who does just that. So, um, you know, we have Tim Robbins as, as Norval Barnes, still a great performance. Jennifer Jason Lee gets so much flack from a lot of people in the film community for her performance as Amy Archer in this film. And yes, she is playing the stereotypical fast-talking career girl from the 1940s films, uh, working in the newsroom, uh, intrepid reporter. Right. Um, but I think she nailed it. I think she's so good in this movie. And I love watching every scene she's in. So I still just have a really great time with the film. Uh, the style, the art deco, uh, architecture, um, the music. I think the music, the score is so good. Um, and it's just a great movie. And it's one of the few Coen brothers you can actually watch with your kids, uh, even younger kids, because it is rated PG. There's really nothing other than the fact that a, an old man jumps out the window uh, to commit suicide. Other than that, there's nothing in it that's uh, really that objectionable to anybody. And it's got some good messages to it. I think it's got a, it's a, it's a, it's a good moral story to it. It's almost like the Coen's brothers version of it's a wonderful life. Okay. And uh, I think that's what they were gunning for. It's kind of that classic big picture story, uh, feel good story, but yet with their own, uh, uh, their own unique taste to it. So sure. anyway, you and I've talked about it. You're a fan of this movie, yes, right? I, I do like that movie as well. Yeah. That's definitely a, a good one to catch up on if you haven't already seen it, or you may want to revisit it. Cause it's definitely, definitely worth that. So yeah. I, what is your I, recommendation, Chris? So, you know, I have two because okay. one of my recommendations you've actually recommended before. So okay. I will still recommend it, but I'm going to cheat first and say, because you talking about silence of the lambs made me think about, I really, Anthony Hopkins is awesome. We can all agree on that. Yes. I liked him in silence of the lambs. Obviously he won the Oscar. He was great, but I really haven't thought much about Sir Anthony Hopkins. I'll call him, sir. <laughs> um, I really haven't Very thought proper of you. I really mm -hmm. haven't thought much one way or the other about him. I mean, I think he's good, but I just like you can't name a recent work where I've been like, oh yeah, you know, he's so well, because of quarantine, I have been catching up with Westworld, which is a ah. series. It is not a movie. Um it's on HBO. Mm. But man, is he good in Westworld. And some of his deliveries to yeah. go ahead. Where are you in Westworld right now? I am coming to the close of season one. So I, okay. so right. yeah, I'm still just early plan. on, <laughs> gotcha. but um, okay. it's, it's amazing because you can just see, you know, the weight that he has in scenes is like straight from silence of lambs. Like he's just got the mm -hmm. intensity and everything. It's, it's amazing. So I will say Westworld cause I'm halfway through season two. I think it is better to, binge it and by binging i'm not saying you have to watch it completely back to back but at least watching it in a shorter period of time i think people who were watching it when it was airing one episode a week on hbo found it difficult because it is gotcha. a very complex uh, series but uh, i watched season one kind of in succession and by doing so i think i enjoyed it a lot more than most people did so yeah you have to let me know when you get done with season one what you think sure so uh, that's my non-movie recommendation, which I typically don't do. Okay. But you mentioning Sir Anthony Hopkins just brought that to mind. I was like, yeah, I'd forgotten how sure. good he was. And man, watching oh. Westworld, he's amazing. Well, 
and watching Silence of the Lambs again, uh, it still holds up. It oh, is still incredibly disturbing the way Jonathan Demi puts that close up on his face as he addresses the camera in his scenes. And it's, it's so good. Anyway, that's go, the thing like, ahead. you know, Anthony Hopkins, you know, a lot of characters can do or actors can do close ups, but there's some people who just hold the gaze of the camera and you can't look away. He does that in silence on lambs. He does that in Westworld. Like he just mm. commands the look of the camera and it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a real talent. It is really good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So now to my movie recommendation, you recommended this, I think probably the year it came out, which would have been 2017, mm-hmm. but it's a uh, Molly's game uh, by director oh, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. I mean, he mm-hmm. usually does the writing, but he actually directed Molly's game. Um, and this is Jessica Chastain stars as Molly Bloom. She's a young skier and former Olympic hopeful, you know, stuff doesn't work out at the Olympics. So she becomes an entrepreneur but then she becomes a target of an F- FBI investigation because she basically runs high stakes international poker games. <laughs> um, as thing, you do as, as former do. Olympians. If Olympics right, don't yeah. work out, you do high stakes poker. I remember mm-hmm. seeing trailers for this movie and it kind of, even though it's not a sports movie, it kind of had that feel of like, you know, run them, gun them poker movies like rounders. And there've been a couple of, I just, not in my ballpark. Don't really care about him. Don't really want to see him. This movie came and went. I didn't think anything of it. I remember you recommending it and specifically calling out a scene between Kevin Costner, who plays her father, and Jessica Chastain, and really calling that out as like, there's just kind of a knockover scene. I, you know, I just still never was enough to make me want to see it. It popped up on Netflix recently. So it's new to Netflix. I was at home. I said, you know what? I'm going to give this thing a shot. Man, it was really, really good. I think I can credit, I mean, the acting is solid. Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, who plays her lawyer, Kevin Coster. Michael Sarah actually does a pretty good job as playing like a poker player who's a creep. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Sorkin's dialogue, a lot of people take or leave it, they hate it. You know, you hate it, you love it. West Wing, Social Network. He just has this kind of rhythm to his stuff. That's what made this film interesting to me is because it was just rapid fire saying all these poker terms that if they were to try to really take time and explain it to you, probably would have been boring to me. But instead it was like rapid fire. It just helped move and propel the movie along. It was really interesting. And, you know, it's one of those occasions where even though a lot was communicated through narration, you know, this like, you know, voiceover while you see all these things happening, that can get to be monotonous or people get irritated because you're telling them instead of showing them. But in this film, it just worked. I really mm-hmm. liked it. And it's available on Netflix now uh, for those of you who have yeah. Netflix. So no, that was, it was a surprisingly good movie when I remember seeing it. I mean, I remember seeing, having some passing interest in it, but watching it, I really, really connected with it. And yeah, um, you mentioning the Kevin Costner scene in the park. Uh, yeah. That gets me. It still get even you just mentioning that. I started to feel a little, just a little tiny bit emotional just there listening well, to you talk about it. So. Kevin Costner is one of those people, you know, you know, dance with wolves, and then you just kind of feel like he's kind of disappeared in a way. But mm-hmm. you see him in this, and yep, he's he's still got it. He can still deliver some dialogue. He can pop in when he needs to, and just you know, draw, you know, suck the oxygen out of a room and make you pay attention to what's going on. It was, it's yeah. good. 
Well, good. I'm glad I'm glad you caught up with it. I'm glad you liked it too. So awesome. All right. Well, that's our recommendation. So I recommended once again the Hudsucker Proxy. Chris recommended both the TV series Westworld on HBO and also now Molly's Game available on Netflix. It's on Netflix and you can probably rent it at all the usual platforms sure. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then of course our show, we finished our we did our reviews of Trolls World Tour. Neither of us big fans of that film really much at all. Um, and then we also had a review of the film The Way Back uh, starring yeah. Ben Affleck that we were both pleasantly surprised with and both reasonably enjoyed and thought it was a, a, a fairly good film. So, and then we did our news about Dune. We did our news about Barry Jenkins. We did some news about Sam Raimi and Dr. Strange. So good show, good content, good discussions, Chris. But if somebody wants to keep the discussions going, they want to keep dialoguing with us, about any of these topics or reviews or films, how should they go about trying to reach us? You can send us an email at info at the mesh.tv and just mention for candle films in the subject line and tell us how we are dreadfully wrong about Trolls 2 and it's the most innovative film in decades. Um, and so mm. it surpasses the original. Like, let us know. We'd love to, we'd love to hear that content. Um, yes, <laughs> I would love to hear that comment. So please, please send that to me. Yeah. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film. Alan and I have accounts on Letterboxd. You can track what we're seeing, and sometimes we may write short reviews on there. I would be remiss if I didn't mention, which Alan has mentioned, but uh, just the Foot Candle Film Festival, which will be coming up in late September, the 23rd through the 27th. So mark that on your calendar. It should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have more information coming out about the festival in July. So please keep your eyes on that. And uh, we hope to see you joining us in Western North Carolina this fall. Uh, and then, of course, our Film Society. Um, we're at a little bit of a hiatus right now, not doing any public film screenings, obviously, without theaters open. But once theaters do open back up, we will be starting up our film series once again with monthly film screenings of independent or award-winning films here in the Western North Carolina area. So check out footcandle.org for a website that will hopefully soon show some upcoming uh, events and, and things that we'll be, we'll be promoting. So, all right, Chris, stay safe. All right. You too. See you in the ticket thanks line. For, at a safe thanks everybody for distance. listening. Yeah. 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 From a safe social distance. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're fumbling this around. This is unfortunately <laughs> quarantine edition. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. And then Chris, you say, Sure. See you in the ticket line at a safe social distance. There we go. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. Awesome. Watch films in the company of like-minded people in the dark. Watch films in the underground. We won't let anyone know where you are. The films that don't make it to Carmike at the mall. Or ones that Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. 
All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.